0: Our scripture is 1st Timothy chapter 5. We have been studying from 1st Timothy 5 and really ultimately the whole book, Pictures of Faith Foundations. Now we're in a section where we're ultimately going to see that the whole of the chapter and even a little beyond is all about honor about acting honorably. And I wish I could cover the whole of the section, but you will notice it in verse three of first Timothy five, it speaks of honor in verse 17 of first Timothy five, it speaks of honor. And even chapter six, verse one, it says honor yet again. So there is this thread of being honorable. Here's how you show honor as a Christian. I can't cover all of that text though in, in one shot. So I'm not going to be unimaginative. The next few lessons are going to be called Be Honorable because that's what this section is ultimately all about. Now, in these first 16 verses, it's a section that we might have the tendency to want to skip by because the vast majority of it speaks about widows. And you might go, well, I don't have to worry about a widow, and so this is not for me. And so I will implore you to stay with me as we go through this lesson because I believe I can show you why it is critically important to your Christian walk and what it reveals ultimately about God to spend this much time talking about the concern of widows. But let's begin in the first two verses of 1st Timothy 5, as it was just spoken for us by Steve, we see, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Notice the picture right out of the gate as he speaks of these faith foundations to these Christians. He begins with, we need to honor one another and we honor one another in how we speak to one another. And notice the lens that he gives. If a person is older than you, then talk to them like they're your parents. And that means in a good way. (laughs) And if they are like younger than you or equal to you, then speak to them as if they were your sibling, your brother or sister. And again, in a good way. And that's, I think, an interesting and important lens that is given to us is truly trying to think about when we are engaging one another, one of the ways that we will honor one another is how we talk to each other. Well, when I'm talking, what should I think of? And he says, go to those who are older as if it was like your father or your mother. And go to those who are younger As if it's a sibling, as if it were your brother or your sister. An important picture that God cares about how we speak to one another. Sometimes we can lose sight of that. That God cares about how we speak to one another. And one of the ways that we show honor is in the words that we say how we speak to each other and to have that kind of honor and that kind of dignity. And so we should never speak harshly to another person, but I also want you to notice another picture. That's interesting there in verse two, when it says older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity, honor each other with purity. And I think this is particularly important For men as they are dealing with women. Is that the conversation and the approach and the mind would be that of purity. And in some ways that should be obvious. That this should be as a Christian family. A safe place where we speak to one another. And we are concerned for one another. And our minds and our words are full of honor and purity. Honor and purity. That's what he wants to communicate to them. Purity of mind, purity of words, purity of actions. One of the things that I think is always important to keep in mind is we have a choice of what we do with our thoughts. We have a choice. When we have sinful ideas and sinful thoughts... There is a choice to be made if we will go the path of purity and reject that kind of sinful thinking, or if we choose to entertain those ideas. That's where lust comes in. Lust is about enjoying and entertaining these impure thoughts and ideas. And here is the call for us as as Christians to remove these temptations from our minds, change how we think about one another, especially how we think toward women. I think that's so valuable what you see in verse 2. Younger women as sisters in all purity. That is the way to think of each other. And in particular, how to think of women with all purity, Think of her as your sister. Think of her in that light. That is the honor that God is looking for. And I think it is so important in a time right now that is so sexually charged, where there are all kinds of conflicts and problems regarding the relationships between men and women. God sets the picture clear for us purity, cleanse your mind, think properly. That is your sister, that is your brother, that is your mother, that is your father. Look at them in that light. That is the lens to have, to have the kind of honor that God is calling for us to have. So be very beginning, right out of the beginning point here that Paul gives to Timothy, I want you to speak to them and look at them in this light to have that kind of honor and that kind of respect. And that leads then to the second section of what honor looks like. As he says there in verse 3, honor widows who are truly... Widows Honor widows who are truly widows. And as you go through this paragraph, what we're going to notice is that honor is not simply in terms of how we look at them and the kind of respect that we give them, but also in terms of financial support. And the reason why that is particularly critical is in ancient Near Eastern times, a widow was essentially financially doomed. There was no system in place to care for those who would be widows or even as as orphans. You don't have social security. You don't have Medicare. You don't have any of those financial structures in place, nor do you have the ability to go and get a job or go to college and advance yourself. Those things don't exist. In fact, so much so, you might remember in the book of Ruth, when Naomi's husband dies and the two daughter-in-law's husbands die, you remember what she says to them? You two should go find and marry somebody because I'm basically good as dead. There's nothing for her. And so we have to really appreciate the world in which Paul writes this, that Here are these who are helpless, who are going to need our concern and care. And that is something that has always been a concern of God. You have in James 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God is this. Caring for those who are downtrodden. Caring for those who don't have help. Widows and orphans, keeping oneself unstained from the world. I think it is so interesting to see that this is ultimately the heart of God as he would look at those who are vulnerable, who have these concerns and God wants to speak to caring for them. Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return for their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they will be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Powerful teaching from the Apostle Paul. Honor widows and then he sets forward something very important. Family should be the first to care for a widow. Family should be first. In fact, I love the wording that's given in verse 4 when it says that they should make some return to their parents. Have you thought about that phrase? Make some re- return. What are you returning? All of the years that they took care of you. <laughs> that's the return. They took care of you when you were helpless. When you needed somebody to take care of you and to provide for you and give you everything you need, you give that kind of return. I think sometimes one of the hard things that happens, unfortunately, is that we end up in relationships where we have fractures with family and that becomes terribly challenging where We may not have a good, godly, or healthy relationship because of the sins of the parents, and that makes those things complicated. But I think it's important to observe here, as it always is with the commands of God, is that us being godly and doing what is right is never dependent upon what the other person has done. I mean, you think about if we only had to do good when the other person deserved it, how much good would you have to do in this world? Uh, Basically, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. And you don't have Paul say, now care for for your widowed mother as long as she really did a really good job raising you and was always there. It's not there. And so while there can certainly be difficulties in relationships, I understand that. Absolutely understand that. There is a picture here that there needs to be a concern and a care. There needs to be a return for what they've been able to do for you. And I want you to notice verse four as well, how that ends. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Those kinds of statements should jump off the page to us and be of the utmost importance. When God says, "Here's something that gives me joy, that is pleasing to me," it should just be eye popping, or we go. Then I need to underscore that. And one of those things is how we treat our parents. That goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes even to the Ten Commandments. One of the most important commandments is that we would honor our father and our mother. And even at that, there was not a clause unless that in the capabilities that we have and the situation that we have, that there would be care and that there would be honor that would be given. This is pleasing in the sight of God. In fact, I believe verse eight really underscores how strongly God feels about this. If a person does not provide for his own, and the implication there is relatives, because of the rest of the sentence, especially members in the household. A person who does not care and provide, especially for those who are the closest to you in your own home, and even those outside of your home have a care for them. So your relatives, your family, if you don't care about them, notice the statement there, He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. I'm not sure you could have said that any stronger. You have denied the faith. Well, why would that be a statement like that? Perhaps one of the reasons why it would be stated that way is because even those who are of the world, those who are not of God understand that there is some kind of connection to family that we care for one another. Even most human beings understand that. And how much more so the people of God should understand that we do good even when others have not done good to us. And as much as we may have all kinds of issues and all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of problems, There is some kind of return to be made for what they were able to do for us. And so Paul makes it very clear. He says there in verse 7, teach these things, command these things, so they will will be without reproach, that we would not fall under condemnation. And he begins by setting up what ultimately a true widow then would look like. You see this in verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues to make supplications and prayers night and day. First, there's a picture of being in need, she's alone. No one to care for her. No one to provide for her. There is no financial assistance or help whatsoever. She is alone and she is in need. But notice the spiritual component that is also described in verse 5. She's put her hope in God. And notice how it says she continues in prayers and in supplications night and day. I believe we have one pretty staggering example ...in the New Testament about someone who looks exactly like what the Apostle Paul described here. Listen to this description in Luke 2. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. Now watch this. Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin... And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. You catch how similar that is to what the Apostle Paul described? How interesting. Now here she has been a widow most of her life. What a picture given here. Husband only made it for seven years and then the rest of her time, she has lived as a widow. Well, what did she do with all of her time? She worshiped God. Notice she's... Worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. She doesn't leave the temple. She has devoted herself to God. I think this is an important image because this seems to be the frame of reference that Paul is using here. In verse 5, not only the financial need that she has left all alone, she has set her hope in God, continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Notice the picture of her hope is in God. She doesn't live for this world. She doesn't live for riches. She's not living for luxury or what she can get out of this world. The overall picture of the widow here is she lives her life for God. She is praying day and night to God. She has devoted herself to God. That is the overarching picture of what is given to us then. Truly a widow because she is alone and in need, but she has devoted herself to God in every way. In verses 9 through 16, it now lays out requirements. And the beginning of the sentence is a little bit strange, I'll say. Verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if... And now it's going to start giving all of these qualifications. And you kind of read that and go, what do you mean be enrolled? You didn't didn't set that up. What do you mean? Let the widow be enrolled If well, what are we talking about? I submit to you that the picture that we probably have to understand this is what you see in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, you might remember what we see in Jerusalem is that there are widows. There are Grecian widows and there are Jewish widows. And what we see happening there is that there are these widows in need and a daily distribution, presumably of food then, is given to them. Every day they are being provided for. And that seems to be the idea of what Paul is picturing here when he says... Let her be enrolled. Enrolled in what? Enrolled in being cared for by the church. But there are an awful lot of requirements that are given that I think are worthy of our our discussion as we look at this picture. When he says there in verse 9, let the widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years old of age so first there's an age requirement she must be 60 years old or older now he doesn't say why yet he will so I'm going to put a pin on that and say let's hold on to that he just sets the age out right now and we'll talk about why that's a critical marker to say 60 years old is a defining line the other picture that's given in verse 9 is having been the wife of one husband and I want to talk about that for a minute because I think this is really instrumental to understanding what God is getting at when he uses this phrase, the wife of one husband. Notice she can be called that even though she's a widow. And I had some of the things that we talked about back in first Timothy three, where we saw in regards to the shepherds, it said that he had to be the husband of one wife. And we made the observation that this is talking about faithfulness. And it's important to see that that's certainly true here. That what Paul is obviously not talking is a picture of a present marital status. Obviously her present marital status is not married. She's a widow. But yet she can still be called the wife of one husband. I think that's the important, one of the first important aspects to see in that. The second is this. Later on in verse 14, he's going to tell everybody who is under 60 that if they want to be cared for, the way to be cared for it is to be remarried. They say, why is that such a big deal? Because of this, would Paul be giving a command to these widows that are younger than 60 to go and remarry? And then suppose that husband dies and now you would come along later in life and say, well, she's not the wife of one husband because she remarried. I would submit to you, no, I cannot believe that Paul would be disqualifying all the widows who are under 60 because he tells them to go get remarried and then the husband dies. And what would that mean? My point is this again, it is not about a present marital status but a picture of her spiritual faithfulness to the marriage. How was she in this marriage? Has she devoted herself to the marriage? Is she pure in the marriage? Has she devoted herself to her husband? And it's represented in that faithfulness to him. That is what is entailed with being the wife of one husband, because obviously she's been married. She's a widow. It must be speaking to something more. because. Of course all widows have been married. Married is not the critical component here. Faithfulness is. The reason why I think that is important is because sometimes a lot of questions come up when it comes to an eldership. And the qualification is exactly the same, just a changing of the genders. Husband of one wife for the shepherds, for the widows, wife of one husband. And a question will come up. Well, is he disqualified if the wife dies? And under this, I would say no. Because she's the wife of one husband, even though he died. He is still faithful, husband of one wife, even though she died. And I would push that one more and say, when it comes to the widow, she's going to be told to remarry. Does that mean she's no longer the wife of one husband? No, but again, not speaking to present marital status, but of faithfulness. And in the same way, then, in regards to shepherds, so long as be lawful spouse dies, he would be able to remarry and still be considered the husband of one wife. It is important that whatever constraints and understanding we have. For 1 Timothy 3 to the elders and husband of one wife can be equally applied to the widow, wife of one husband. And what we say of her, of wife of one husband, would be also applied to him as husband of one wife. And that's why I think 1 Timothy 5 is highly educational to us. And what Paul is looking at is ultimately marital faithfulness, purity of the relationship, how she treated him if she be a true widow or how he treated her if he be considered for being a shepherd. Important picture that's given here and I believe worthy of our time because for her situation, for her to be called wife of one husband though he's dead, says a lot about what god wants what god wants is ultimately that spiritual faithfulness in her as this description is given verse 10 continues the picture and shows that it is a spiritual concern that's in mind having the reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. What you see in a true widow is you see this life of faithfulness. She has devoted herself to her husband. She's devoted herself to the Lord. She's devoted herself to serving others of the people of God. That is the picture that is being displayed as it gives these pictures of how she has raised her family, of having the reputation of good works, of caring for the afflicted, of washing the feet of the disciples. So these are pictures of service that are being laid out. She is exemplifying good works. If we had time, you'd go to Acts and you'd see women who did those very things, who were proclaimed for the good works that they were doing for the people of God. This is what the Apostle Paul is picturing. Now, from verses 11 to 15, he comes back to it ultimately explaining why would the line be drawn at 60 years old? Why is it that widows 60 and over can be put on the roll and cared for the church if they have no family and they are truly in need and meet all of these qualifications of doing good works, spiritually faithful and serving the people of God? Why would that be the line that would be put there? Verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to remarry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. All right. Did you catch the reasoning refuse to enroll younger widows, that be under 60. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to remarry and incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith or their former pledge. That sounds terribly harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds like, you know, she went off and got remarried and how dare she do that and she is incurring wrath for doing that. It's important to back up and understand what this is getting at, though. It gives us a sense that when Paul speaks of enrolling these true widows, that it's not merely just, okay, we're going to take care of you, but that a pledge is being made that she is going to devote herself to the service of the Lord. That's what's being given. She is saying, I am not going to remarry. And devote myself to another husband. Instead, I'm going to devote myself to God. Like we saw the picture of Anna. Day and night, offering prayers, worshiping God. What this older widow is saying by being enrolled is I'm going to give myself to that. So this is his concern is that if we enrolled a younger widow... Well, she may desire to remarry. Is there anything wrong with her remarrying? of course not. That's why Paul commands them to remarry. The issue is by being put on the roll, you are saying, I'm going to make my life all about God. And I'm going to serve the church. And I'm going to do what's in the best interest of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to do these good works for God. I'm giving myself to that. And I'm not going to concern myself with husband or family or things like that but rather devote myself, make a pledge to serving God. That is the picture that you see being given there in verse 11 is his concern is that there will be a time if they are younger, that they'll decide that they will want to remarry. And he's saying, you've made a pledge and I don't want you to fall into that pledge. He also gives the concern in verse 13 and verse 14 or verse 13 has about being idle. We're going to talk a lot about idleness tonight. I hope you'll, come back for that because David in 2nd Samuel 11 has some issues with idleness and we'll talk about the danger of being idle and I want you to see the warning here having nothing to do being idle can lead to sin very easily and so that's his concern is you either need to devote yourself to God and as a true widow enrolled Or you need to be married, have children, and keep yourself busy with those kinds of things. That's what verse verse 14 says. So I would have younger widows remarry, bear children, manage their households, give no occasion for the adversary to slander. And so that is the picture that he ultimately gives is to tell them to focus on that, to give themselves to that. And remember, again, you were in a society where that was your only hope. That was the only thing you could do. If you wanted to be provided for, again, no social security, no Medicare, no go get a job, you had to marry. And so that's why he gives that in the ancient world. And that's the concern. But I think the warning is valid. It's a useful warning. Idleness is danger. Devote yourself to the things of God and devote yourself to your family so that you are not caught in the snare of idleness as he warns in verse 15 that some have already strayed away. All right, now let's talk about the big so what because I told you at the beginning, one of the things that happens when we come across texts like these is we go, well, that's not relevant. I'm a man, so I'm not going to be a widow or something like that. we say I'm young and so this has no relevance to me and so we can pass by these texts. Why are these things here? And why would these things be important? Two things I want us to focus in on. One, as is the title of the lesson, clearly God wants us to act honorably to all people. That's how this whole paragraph started. I want you to think about how much our culture needs that right now. That we would honor people. And that we would speak honorably to people. And we would act honorably to all people. We live in a time right now where what people say is, well, you got to earn my respect or you don't deserve my respect. It's not biblical. It's not godly. And so often we can function in that way. Well, you have to earn my honor. You want to know why nobody has to earn our honor and why we have to show all people honor at all times? Because God said at the very beginning, he made every person in his image. Every person is made in the image of God and bears that value. And nobody owes respect or honor we act honorably and give respect and show that because we understand every human's made in the image of God. It's so important for us to see that and to live that right now in such a polarizing culture we have right now, such a hateful culture right now, that we, even when hateful things may be thrown at us, To speak honorably. Treat them as if they are your parents or your siblings. Show them honor because underneath it all, they're made in the image of God. And God loves that human being. And God wants that human being to be saved. To come to the knowledge of the truth. We see the importance of honor. Which pushes this idea of honor one step further. Because what we see here. Is that we are to honor people. Who would have absolutely no opportunity. Or ability. To do good back to you. You see the heart of God right here is. Honor widows. What is a widow, especially think in ancient Near Eastern times, what is an ancient Near Eastern time widow going to be able to return to you for caring for them and doing good for them? Nothing. They are destitute and left alone and have nothing. So often we talk about doing things in terms of what we get out of it. Do you see the heart of God here? That the heart of God is we do good and it doesn't matter what they can do back for us. In fact, it is of the utmost importance to God that we do things for people who cannot offer any return back to us. That is what God wants. And how wonderful it is that we serve a God who has no concern about age and achievements and marital status and contribution because that's our culture and our world. Our culture and our world is your value is set by your age, how much you make, what your career is, married or unmarried. Value is all determined by that. And notice that God takes people who in the ancient Near Eastern culture are considered the bottom. And gives them a whole paragraph and says they're important. And even if they can't do anything for you. You need to provide a return for them. That God cares equally for those who would be forgotten in society. We live in a time like that in our culture. It's a tragic culture where the elderly are marginalized and forgotten. Youth is king. And I suppose all of us when we were teens all kind of thought the same thing. You know, we're young and active and then you start getting older and you realize, wow, I'm not so young anymore. My mind thinks I'm young, but I'm not. And there's supposed to be that respect and that honor that doesn't take into calculation age. Where in fact, the Bible says age should be something that we would appreciate and that we would honor. And that we would have a heart of God to care for those who are downtrodden especially for those who are the people of God, especially those of the household of faith. We must have a heart like God that we would never look at someone and go, wow, that's too bad. You notice for 1 Timothy 5, the point God makes is not, well, that's really terrible that your husband died. Good luck to you. No. Family needs to care and the people of God need to care. And that's why James one twenty seven is so powerful. Pure and undefiled worship and religion before our God and Father is this To care for orphans and widows. Why why would you say that? Because it really reveals the heart of God. Will you do something for someone who has nothing to offer you back, who can never return what you've done, who cannot repay the favour, who cannot give it back to you later on in life? Will you do good for people, even though there is no chance of them doing anything back to you? Pure and undefiled religion is that—is caring for such people and expressing that kind of devotion and that kind of godliness. That's why this text matters. Because it truly reflects how God wants us to look at one another. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love all people equally. You don't care about our status. You don't care about how much we make. You don't care about our reputation, how important we are, or any of those things. That these things are not factors to you. Thank you for being a just, impartial, fair, loving God. Thank you for caring for all people. God, we pray that we would have a heart like yours on that. That we would never look at externals to determine whether we love someone or not, or if we will care for someone or not, or if we will do good by them or not. Help us to move past the externals and see everybody as a soul. Lord, give us hearts to see everybody is made in the image of God. Lord, I pray for family relationships it's so easy in life to have fractures so easy in life to have our families be broken lord i pray that there'd be healing for any of the families in which there is such fracturing and that, lord you would give us hearts to want to be reconcilers we would never hold on to past grievances but that we would try to make peace and God, we know that our relationships are get really difficult and that makes it really hard. Give us wisdom. Give us the wisdom we need to navigate through such tough things. And help us in that wisdom as we navigate our relationships that we say and do things that truly are honorable. And that truly reflect our devotion to you. Help us to make those wise and godly choices. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing invitation song. We invite you to come to our Lord Jesus this very morning. Turn away from your sins and come to the God who loves you so much. Anyway, we can help you do that. We ask you to come now while we stand and while we sing.